0: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation.
1: This is is Tim Albright with AV Nation with an AV Nation special taking a look at telemedicine. Uh, And first and foremost, congratulations to an old friend of mine, Mr. Joel Billheimer, who is now with Pexip. Welcome, sir.
0: Thank you. Good to be here. And uh, Pexip.
1: (laughs) Both. Um, Also with us uh, is a cohort of his, Derek Atkinson uh, Solutions Architect with Pexip. Welcome, sir.
2: Thank you,
1: happy to be here. So, so something that's happened this year, uh, Joel, and, and, and Joel comes from the, the, the integration side, he's a longtime time AV, AV guy. Uh, Derek's more in the software side with, with Pexip, um, comes from software. So we're gonna wrap these two kids together and, and talk about something that's happened in uh, really the uh, medicine world uh, in the last nine months. Um, when COVID happened and, and the lockdown started to happen, one of the things that got immediately impacted was was doctors. Uh, my dad is is seventy. He's retired. He's you know, but um, you know, he still goes and see sees a doctor, you know, every once in a while. And hearing it from his side, from a patient's side, was fascinating. And I understand he's in Florida, we're going to talk about some of the legal challenges that have happened over the last couple of years, and, and those hurdles that suddenly got knocked down this year. Um, but hearing it from his side was was really fascinating. And 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 this is a guy that I still you know, ten years ago, still programmed his VCR right. Um, so that's who this, this, this user is and, and hearing his experience of, of getting his iPad out and having a conversation with his doctor. And that was his consultation, right? That was his, his, his annual review. Mm -hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, my, my 70 year old dad's introduction into telehealth, right? Telemedicine. And and it was, it was, he was incredibly, you know, gratified by it and it, it helped him and it worked and all that jazz. So Joel, when when you you look at you know not just the the speed of the ramp up that had to happen, um, sure, you know wh- what is it from an integration standpoint you know that folks have to have those those skill sets that 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 has to be in house or you have to get in house quickly to make sure that you can start providing you know telehealth and telemedicine services to your medical clients.
0: Yeah, so so I think in the AV world we we have traditionally been in the position of being the experts, right? We we go in and we basically tell a facility manager or an IT group or whatever, what they need. Um, that's frankly how every dealer that I've ever worked for or been associated with works. Um, the it, There is sometimes a question of trying to convince them that they actually need the service. But more often than not, you are upgrading an existing facility where there's new construction and everyone wants the latest and greatest toy, the flashiest color, the loudest audio. And so that, that has always sort of been in a, a, a given even um, as part of that discussion. In telehealth, it's a little bit different because you are taking a transactional relationship, uh, but a trusted one, between patient and provider that has existed for literally thousands of years, and you are now trying to insert yourself into it, saying, okay, I know that the way that you have done things you think has worked, but now you need to come along and do these other things. And that is a very, very hard conversation to have, Um, and I would say, frankly, In in my experience and and I'm sure Derek has some thoughts here, but if you try to insert yourself that way and saying, We know what's best for you, again, that's kind of the the A V model, right? You're probably not gonna win in telehealth and you're probably going to be pushed out. Um, you know, what you have to do is you have to understand what each of those two pillars of the transactional relationship need. You have to understand what the clinicians need, and you have to understand what the patient needs. Um, there was a really interesting survey uh, that was just completed by the awkwardly named COVID-19 Health Co- uh, Health Coalition, um, that um, obviously was in, re- this was in uh, July to August of uh, last summer, obviously in response to COVID. And it was specifically about um, uh, about telehealth and how and how and the rapid adoption and how that was impacting services. The number one issue, number one um, that everyone talked about, regardless of location, um, regardless of uh, you know uh, uh, discipline, um, was um, access to uh, to technology capability. Um, and some of that was you know maybe a rural area that just didn't literally have technology upon which to build, but a lot of it, going back to your uh, thing about your dad, was how do we, the clinicians, provide services to an often older uh, population, an often technically illiterate population, um, while maintaining a standard of care that actually does anything for the patient and the clinician? Um, You know, at some point, there is a level below which you just can't go and still provide valuable uh, you know video capabilities. And obviously that is going to vary depending on what you're doing. Um, you know if you are let's say going to a dermatologist, um, you know there's a certain you know level of uh, resolution and color and lighting that someone's going to have to be able to, to have at their local, site which is of course usually a dinner table or something like that uh in order for that to work whereas if you're talking about mental health that's a conversation you know that you, maybe you don't need to have quite as uh expansive a customer side or 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 device side capability um but D- derek I, I know that you and i have talked about this in in uh several ways and and i was wondering if you had any sort of follow-up thoughts on that sort of clinician-patient relationship and how people can start to get into it.
2: Sure. Yeah, I think the name of the game now is workflow. You can't make this a technology discussion when you're dealing with sort of groups that aren't very technology-inclined to begin with, while you're trying to replicate what is a very natural, hands-on, interactive experience. So we have a lot of challenges associated with that from both an operational perspective and a technical perspective to make sure that we are as closely aligning that software experience for both the patient and the provider in such a way that it's easy, it's simple, you know, it's it's something that requires minimal steps. We can have that conversation. We've in fact maybe taken steps to prep the patient and the provider so they understand how to make that experience optimal you know, go to your Wi-Fi, your best Wi-Fi source, you make sure you've got four bars of LTE, um, you know, upgrade your software. These are things that have become table stakes to sort of navigate this this interesting time in which, you know, we see technology very rapidly stepping into, um, you know, these, these care scenarios. I think the stats are, are telling us that they're predicting minimally 20% of all Healthcare encounters moving forward in the aggregate to move over to a, a virtual model, and um, I, I think that's extremely conservative. I think there's tremendous opportunity here, um, but the key to making that successful is getting that that technology to really fall into the background behind the, <clears throat> behind the scenes, and um, and making sure that that people don't even think about it.
1: Well, Joel, that is, that is, that is the magic bullet, right? Is, is getting the, the, the technology to fall into the background. How, how do we accomplish that, Joel? That, that's the, you know, um, you know, you, you've had a, a number of experiences, sure. you know, uh, within and, and out of, of government and healthcare and education for the last 20 years. How do we do that? Or can we in AV?
0: So, so going back to, um, to that survey, I think it was very illustrative, um, the the what emerged and again this was this was across all providers um all all disciplines what emerged was a picture of the the preference for for at least from the from the clinician side from the provider side was to have sort of a formal telehealth platform what what they want to have is a single interface where they have access to EHR, electronic health records, where they can call up at a moment's notice the last you know, five or six discussions they've had with this patient. They've got the patient's vital signs, if, if that is something that is available through that kind of mechanism. Um, and uh, they can, there's, they are not coming in and going back out and coming in and going back out. There's basically, they just live on this platform all day long, and they cycle through uh, their patients, they have meetings with their colleagues, they record whatever data they need to, they make diagnosis, maybe even they can have a prescription or or something like that, that that is automated out of this type of platform, that that's the main space where they want to be. But there is also the what we in the IT world call the layer eight problem. Um, you know, problem exists between keyboard and share. Um, you have to have the ability to provide some minimal level of service. So there's always a fallback. And what emerged is that that is usually to to your point from the, your story earlier, that is usually something like FaceTime, that is usually a Consumer level video product that, um, well, doesn't have the power, doesn't have maybe the security uh, or, or or control that an enterprise class product does. Um, it does at least work. So, what what you're seeing is, and and that's that's the implication is that that's mostly organic. That. Service providers are doing everything they can to provide service. That's what they wanna do, of course, is take care of their patients. And while they want this platform as primary, uh, primary interface, they, everyone knows how to use an iPad. Everyone knows how to, you know, put an app, well, for the most part, put an app on a phone. So they have these kind of fallback consumer level positions. Um, I would say that for an integrator, you're never going to get beyond that consumer level capability um, in terms of a fallback position because everyone trusts it. Um, you know, this is kind of a, a slightly different version of the the old Best Buy argument in AV, right? Which is, okay, yeah, you're selling me a $10,000 monitor, but I can go get one for 500 bucks from Best Buy. Why yeah. do I care, right? So... Um, so as long as long as that continues to exist, and I think particularly with things like uh like Signal, uh, which is an end-to-end encryption video app, now doing multi multicast or, or multi-point, um, I think that will only continue to grow, that capability. Where the flip side of that is if a doctor tells a patient, hey, here's a link, go to it on a browser which is far and away the preferred model for pretty much everybody the patient isn't going to say well okay i might because that's me but most people are not going to say oh i can't do that because it's not secure enough or oh you know what i i've got an account on a different healthcare provider's platform you you just trust your doctor you're just going to do what your doctor tells you to do nine times out of ten ninety nine times out of a hundred so that I think is where integrators need to start looking: is are participating in, or possibly uh, as Kaiser Permanente did, building or supporting the building of a platform around uh, a, a set of products, so that whether you are you are the video part of that, whether you are the device part of that, whether you are integrating, you know, for example, medical devices into something like that. Um, I know there's some really interesting things going on with operating rooms uh, and training centers yeah. for, uh, for, for example, nurses in, in rural areas where that, of course, is a traditional AV baseline that is being pumped up into a, a telehealth type of infrastructure. Um, as long as you understand, to, to Derek's point, as long as you understand that workflow concept that you are not, you, the integrator, are not for the be all and end all. You are participating in a much larger exchange of information, then, then I think you're going to start being successful because you need to be able to have that conversation with the providers because it's really the providers who are going to dictate the technology. If, if, if I go to, you know, I don't know, a, a cardiac surgeon and say, well, I'm on FaceTime or I'm on this other platform cardiac surgeon is going to say okay that's great i don't care because i have i work for an organization that has 10,000 100,000 users and we use this and that's where all of your information is i'm not going to build something just because you don't like it so if you want to talk to me this is what you're going to use so the the providers have almost all of the power in that exchange um, to, to dictate. So if you want to, uh, if you are a, a small, medium or large uh, integration business and you want to start to look at this model, um, play to what you know. Obviously start with, you know, that the, the physical layer, but recognize that the physical layer is the edge. It is just a way of getting into the workflow. It's just a way of getting into the application. Tim, you and I have had this conversation many times. But I will say it again, to me, everything is an application. Yeah. Even things like microphones fundamentally are applications because they have a purpose. They deliver a product. And it's really just about how we take that information and process it and distribute it. And so it's going to be it, it, if you don't have that mindset right now in our industry. Um, you're probably not going to be doing very well, certainly in telehealth, but I'm gonna suggest in, in the wider industry as well. Yeah. So very long answer to your question.
1: No, it's fine. Uh, Derek, I, I wanna bring you in on this from the, from the software side is, is looking at you know what um, integrators are, are able to, to kind of change their mindset a bit and, and when they're talking with their clients and trying to get out of them what it is that they need. Um, and that workflow, go back to that you were talking about for a second, is you know trying to understand what it is that they're looking to accomplish and then delivering that right so from a, a kind of a, a full stack uh, standpoint how do we get um you know our listeners and dealers and, and your clients to you know dig in and, and 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 discover what it is that they're specifically now the healthcare clients need and, and and how do they deliver that and then the second part of that question is is how do they Communicate what others are doing if they're just now starting down this path?
2: Sure. So I think it it really has to start with, you know, again, what problem an organization is trying to solve. You may have emergency department utilization issues, you may have access issues, Um, you may have long waiting lines for certain clinics, and you're struggling to see, you know, where I can route that traffic. Um, and, And, it's interesting because video becomes a, a mechanism by which you can very do do a very rapid sort of um, analysis and triage for what the patient actually needs, and so that's where I think we're we're seeing some of the efficacy in, in terms of, of how flexible this platform can be for healthcare. But from an organizational perspective, you need to understand the outcomes that they're driving to, right? Um, you know video effectively becomes table stakes, but you know, what are the touch points within that health system that maybe are over utilizing video in an inappropriate fashion, maybe in- impacting patient satisfaction scores, maybe they're under utilizing it, and they can actually, you know, add more efficiency into their existing clinical staff without having to go, you know, contract out and, and you know, make large investments in, in full time, you know, employees. So, There's a lot of different ways that you can kind of, you know, attack that problem. I think from my perspective, when you're looking at at technology and we're talking about just tools, you you want to keep that flexibility in place. So an organization may have made a tremendous investment in a a Cisco or a Zoom. You know, that's all well and good, but now let's talk about, you know, the care that you're trying to deliver, you know, beyond video. What What are the gaps? What foundational components do you want to add in you know, as we watch this industry evolve, to to again, following Jill's point, do you want to do real time diagnostics? Do you want to bring in additional telemetry type of data points? You know that will assist and, and improve the level of care that you can deliver. Um, you know, maybe I want to look at endpoints that I can <clears throat> deploy into the the patient homes. You know, for follow up and post acute settings. You know, that's that's a big transition to make, and I think you know, from a platform perspective and from an application perspective, you need to keep all of those facets in mind, uh, as you try to, uh, to navigate those waters. All
1: right, very good. As we wrap up here, I, I mentioned some of the legal challenges and, I, and I'll pick on New York for a second because, uh, this is the, the story that I was told or, and in, in read uh, in, in a couple of different places. And that is, um, New York state and, and New York city specifically has long resisted telehealth um in my understanding is is for litigation purposes and, and malpractice purposes well when when the covid uh lockdowns began the, the medical community was left with one of two choices either don't service your client your 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 patients or get on board with telehealth uh and, and joel or derek either one um how do we help not just new york and again I, I don't mean to pick on them but they are that is the story i read um but other organizations who are looking at telehealth and might be a little skittish again because of of malpractice because of, of lawsuits or because of other reasons either it's a it's a it's a you know cost prohibitive they think or it's you know technology prohibitive or they don't think that their clientele is necessarily you know going to jump on board. What advice would you give uh to dealers you know talking with their clients or to, specifically to the the medical community to get on board with this
2: so I would say that this is a learning experience and you just have to kind of dip your toe in the water and, and really start small. Um, when you look at certain types of interactions, you know, it, it may not you may not want to jump into wound care. You may not want to jump into something a little more advanced. You may want to start with your behavioral health, mm. where again, it's just a conversation. It's a natural extension. And then, you know, gradually see how your patients are reacting, take careful measurements along the way and understand, you know, is this, improving the lives of my clinicians and my patients? Are they overwhelmed? You know, it, that that incremental approach is I think how any organization is going to have to adopt telehealth because this is relatively new. It's hard. The last mile is hard. Operational support is hard. You know, so there's so many things to work out along the way. If you if you just go all in, um, you're setting yourself up for some failure. I, I think too, um... One of the and, and first of all, I will absolutely
0: second what Derek's saying, especially about behavioral health. Um, one of the really uh, interesting things about that uh, COVID nineteen survey was something like non behavioral disciplines. Only about ten percent of them had been doing telehealth before COVID hit. Yeah. With the with behavioral, it was actually closer to almost twenty five percent. It was it was between twenty and twenty five. So so that trend had already started, and to Derek's point. That's again. That is conversational. There's uh, that is an easy realm to start to break into. Um, I think too. um, You know, ultimately, a lot of this just comes down to understanding the customer and and understanding how to make a sale. You know, there's this uh, probably the biggest thing that uh, that you have to be concerned about in telehealth from that perspective is reimbursement. Um, It's this is a Byzantine world to those of us, and I raise my hand here, myself, very much included, who do not, uh, you know, work in the insurance industry or things like that, um, or you know, aren't Medicare providers, for example. But you know, for the very, very large majority of us, these are services that are essentially paid for by someone else, according to what's called a fee schedule. Um, and uh, that was also one of the really big concerns that, that we saw coming out of uh, coming out of that survey was um, fee, fee coverage, you know, reimbursement, uh, you know, whether it wasn't enough or didn't exist at all uh, from whether it was health insurance, whether it was Medicare, whether it was government, state, local, whatever. Um, but the flip side of that is, and this you're seeing more anecdotally from conversations, if you're talking about, behavioral health or, or even you know, s- primary care, um, whereas before they might do, let's say, for sake of argument, two uh, interviews in an hour or, or, or sessions in an hour, especially for things like primary care, pediatrics, geriatrics, things that tend to go fairly quickly and are relatively routine, um, you're seeing that number get up to six, seven, even eight sessions per hour. Good night. Um, So um, now, obviously, you know, different clinicians have different approaches and we would never advocate, you know, compromising care quality in any way. But if you think about it, when you go to the doctor, traditionally, you sit in a waiting room, uh, you know, someone takes your vitals, you sit in a room for five, 10 minutes, and you only ever actually communicate with your physician for maybe five to 10 minutes. Everything else is based on you know writing everything down and getting everything organized and things like that. But that also means that the physician can only ever charge for you um, where, because you only had one session. Whereas if they're able to have five, six sessions per hour, all of a sudden their volume is skyrocketing. And, and we, we are seeing that. Um, you know, our, our biggest customer, Pexip's biggest customer is the VA. Which is currently doing, I believe, it's something like one hundred and fifty thousand sessions uh, per per week. Good, um, yeah, uh, and and obviously that's because of COVID. And and um, the world will reestablish a new baseline, but to Derek's point, it is not going to be the old one. Um, you know, people like this; they like being able to, you know, just register with a Doxy or an American Well or Epic or something like that, and just be able to have their session and, you know, not have to drive anywhere and, you know, get a prescription that gets mailed directly to their house. Um, so, will will things estab- you know reestablish at kind of a, a lower level than they are now? Probably, because you still want to be able to, there are certain things that you have to go to a clinic for, but um but uh, you know we are definitely entering a new phase of of clinical care in this country and worldwide mm-hmm. um so being able to participate in that conversation i think is going to be really important
1: absolutely all right that'll be a good place to stop it thank you both so much mr Joel Billheimer from pexip good to see you as always sir uh how do, here, sir. How do people uh, get a hold of you or pexip
0: uh i am at First name last name at pexit.com, and I do have a LinkedIn account. Still no Twitter, though.
1: Sorry. Or Facebook, or LinkedIn, or, 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 or yeah, Friendster, right. or MySpace, or anything else. Derek, thank you so much, name, sir. Name. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Uh, how do people get a hold of you?
2: Uh, same first name dot last name at pexit.com or LinkedIn.
1: All right, very good. My name is Tim Albright. Uh For us, for Aviation, go by our website, aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. You'll find programs like this and a host of others, including our two weekly programs. One looks at the residential side of the AV industry, the other looks at the commercial side. Uh, the residential side is called Resi Week, crazy enough. Uh, and the other one is called AV Week. So check all that out and more at aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv.